Cotney Attorneys and Consultants is dedicated to helping the construction industry with legal, business, and safety challenges. Welcome to this week's episode of Law and Mortar with John Kenny and Trent Cotney. Hey, this is Trent Cotney, CEO of Cotney Attorneys and Consultants. I want to welcome you to another episode of Law and Mortar. As always, I've got the man, the myth, John Kenny, with me. John, how are you doing? Doing great. Well, it's glad to have you back in town on this one. We tried to cover for you the best we could while you're out hitting the road. Yeah, it's been a busy few weeks. Spent some time in Nashville and Chicago, about to head out to uh, New Orleans for the International Roofing Expo. Why don't we start there, John? We've got a lot on our plate. I know uh, I fly in Sunday. I've got the NRCA board meetings followed by affiliate meetings on Monday, several receptions and dinners and whatnot, uh, trade show. And then I know I'm speaking along with you, panel discussion on the latest in the supply chain uh, crisis. And we've got uh, Craig Brightup, Leo Abara, and Jason Stanley from Ivy Roof Systems with us. So should be a great lineup, a lot of, um, you know, great conversations and looking forward to that. You've got a, a busy, uh, busy week as well. What are you doing at IRE? Yeah, well, <clears throat> uh, I'm arriving Sunday night, but Monday I'm going to set up the booth with someone, cover you on that because you got a busy, busy day. Then other than that, Tuesday starts out speaking. I'm going to be doing the uh, deep dive, uh, you know, state of the industry with uh um, Roofer Magazine, Jill Bloom and Art Eisner, we're going to be doing recover, really deep diving into what we did in the webinar. I hope a lot of you just saw. And in Tuesday afternoon, um, we're going to be out on the floor. we got a floor show at the educational booth um, with us and Java and uh, um, John and with um, tech, uh, L3 Technologies. Um, you want to see it. It's on training um, in technology and where it's all heading. It's going to be really good. It's, I think they're 45 minute sessions. Everybody should really get a lot out of that. We're going to cover a lot of different areas. And then let's see Wednesday, I kick off with, um, in the morning with, uh, uh estimating the right way. I uh, hope to see many of you there. I've heard a few said they'd stop by. And then of course, as you said on Thursday, I'll be uh, hooked over with you on the panel. Looking forward to that. Yep, trade sure all day long. <laughs> it'll be a busy, busy week. So we've got a lot going on. Looking forward to it. Um, elsewhere in the news, John, you know, it's uh, the vaccine mandates have, have gotten a lot of publicity. As everybody knows, hopefully by now, the Supreme Court uh, struck down the OSHA Emergency Temporary Standard, saying that OSHA had exceeded its authority. Uh, they upheld the healthcare standard, but the federal contractor mandate is still in limbo. For those of you that don't know, this applies to contractors that are working on federal projects. Basically says they have to be vaccinated, not just them, but anybody that has contact with that project. So it could potentially be people in your home office that are working on the project. So several states have challenged that. Texas, Arizona, and Georgia, to name a few, have issued temporary stays. Right now it is on hold. So we can anticipate sometime probably within the next few weeks to learn what the outcome is going to be there. John, what do you think is going to happen? I don't know. It's uh, I, I wish uh, I wish I had better answers on this because I don't really ever understand how some of these things come out and how they end up. But you know, it's kind of a it's why Vegas puts odds on a lot of things. But uh, personal opinion, from what I hear, I think this one probably has a better chance of being upheld than the other one, just because it's the federal money involved and being the fact that they've already upheld the. Uh, Anybody with Medicare, Medicaid money and health facilities um, because the government's paying for it, then that upheld, even though it's not new construction, but I think they're going to kind of jump off of that. That's just my opinion. I think it's going to go through. 
Yeah, I could see I could see it having a greater chance of success. The only portion that I kind of question is tying in people that aren't physically on the roof. You know, if they're yeah. tying in people from the home office, I don't know to what extent that's necessary, but I do agree with you because federal money's involved. I think it stands a greater chance of surviving judicial scrutiny. Um, you know, John, you know, something something else that's kind of been on my mind as we get into January. Obviously, um, a lot of contractors are on tight schedules because they, you know, closed out their year in. They might have, you know, done certain things for taxes. They might have emptied the coffers for tax purposes. You never know. And collections is absolutely critical during the month of January to keep that cash flow going. Uh, cash is king, and that's always the case, no matter whether you got good times or bad times. So what's some tips that you would give contractors with regard to collections, especially, you know, this early in the year? Well, what I recommend is you've probably got some, what I'm going to call bad debt, for lack of a better word. Um, clean that up first. What I mean by that is I'm not saying you got to do it all in the books, but if you don't, almost use the 80-20 rule. If you don't feel you've got a really good shot at collecting something immediately, kind of put that aside for maybe your follow-up call and go after the bigger, what you feel is collectible, that's got a good chance of being collected when you pick up the phone, then you kick that 80-20 in. So what I mean by that is go after the larger money first, because that's going to make the most impact on the collect, you know, collections, and then work your way down the list of the smaller money. Um, and, and, you know, use common sense at this point. And like I said, split up, uh, get another team member on it. Sometimes that's important. You know, you have, you hear from somebody else calling rather than the same person, you might get a better answer or that. Um, but definitely if it's a hard client and you know, they're not going to pay for 60 days, go after the ones you can get quick and then jump back and work on them later. That's what might be my recommendation. Yep. Absolutely. Be persistent. You got to be persistent. Um, squeaky, squeaky wheel gets the, the uh, grease. So that's definitely what you want to do is make sure that you're doing everything you can to get out in front of those that owe you money, um, especially during the first quarter. Uh, that's when you, yep. you got to make sure that that cash is flowing. John, we talked about a lot of different things, but now is my favorite time, and that is right. question, question time. Of the week. Are you ready? I'm ready. All right, so this is a good one. This question is from Ben, and Ben has a question regarding holdbacks. Uh, what is the best way to negotiate the release of funds when you have a holdback? And I'm kind of reading between the lines here, but I assume he's talking about the equivalent of retainage uh, on projects, which is pretty much commonplace all over the United States. Some, right. some percentage of your, your contract is withheld. Some states have you know statutes that govern it, but uh, you know, one of the things I've always done in those states that allow it is, let's say you've got a 10% retainage upon 50% completion, knock it down to 5%. Uh, the goal is to reduce that retainage amount as, as far as you can down so that you're not having to fight over at the end of the project. What have, what have you seen, John? Yeah, I mean, first of all, you want to try to do that in the front end whenever possible, if it's in writing. Uh, I will tell you that is one of the easiest conditions to get changed in a contract, in my experience through the years. Um, they, they'll give on that because they, it's not a big deal. You're basically getting so far, drop the retainage down at the end. I've even seen it in three stages, 10, five, and two, right? So if you get everything down and they're only holding 2% of your money while the project goes through its normal closeout docs, that's not a killer. 10% is a killer. So if you don't have that in there, um, there's still ways around it. I would still go to the same thing and say, hey, you know, Mr. Owner, Mr. General Contractor, depending on what you want, you know, I'm here. 
I got this done. We're, you know, how about can we negotiate? Because a lot of times they already have it in their contract with the next person up. If direct owner is usually pretty easy to work with you, but if you're working direct for GC and then to owner, a lot of times they did not pass that down to you because you didn't ask for it. But I will tell you, there's very few general contractors that have a full 10 hold till the end of the job on their subs. It's usually stair step down. Again, right. you know, go in and ask. You can't, you, all you can do is say no and work from there. Yep, never hurts to ask. So I um, want to thank everybody for uh, listening today. As always, we appreciate you guys making us the number one construction law podcast in the world. Uh, if you got any questions for me, you can reach out to me, Trent Cotney at dcotney at cotneycl.com. John, how can they get you? Uh, Jay Kenny at cotneycl.com. Great. Thank you guys so much, and we'll see you soon. See you soon. Take care.